hello and welcome to this episode of Sarah and Friends, a podcast series where I grab some of my educator friends and geek out for a while about teaching and leading and learning. In this series, we are taking a look at a special kind of wisdom, the kind that my guests would give to their first-year teacher selves. Um, But don't worry if you're not a first-year teacher, there is still plenty for all of us to learn from these educators and from these conversations. I would like to introduce all of you to Minu Rami. Um, After 10 years as a high school English teacher, uh, she is now on a two-year assignment with the Gates Foundation as a teaching fellow, and she's also undertaking some other exciting adventures that I know she'll be able to tell us about. So welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, Honored to be here. A little nervous because I'm always in awe of you whenever I'm in conversation with you. Uh, But I'm looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And you are no stranger to the Teaching Channel community because you have been a frequent blogger on the site. And so I know a lot of our listeners are probably already going to feel like they know you a little bit, but they might not know all of your backstory. Uh, So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you found your way to the classroom. So, yeah, um, I I double majored in um, English and philosophy in college, and uh, I think everyone forgot to tell me that there are no jobs uh, for people who want to sit under a tree and read all the time. Um, so like many people with a philosophy degree in their hand, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to law school, and I'm going to advocate for people who uh, don't feel represented in our legal system. And I had already taken my LSATs. Uh, But in the meantime, I thought it'd be good to have some real world working experience. So my first job out of college was at City Year Philadelphia, which is a national AmeriCorps program that matches volunteers with uh, high need schools in urban areas to provide tutoring and mentoring for for students. Um, I was young enough to be a Corps member, uh, but they hired me on staff. at that time. But, and I wasn't that smart, but I was smart enough to say, Hey, can I shadow one of your core members? Because if you'd like me to talk about this program, I should know what these volunteers actually do in schools. So my personal, uh, learning experience, um, after having, uh, having been, um, in Chicago, uh, Chicago suburban schools. I was born in India, but I grew up in suburbs of Chicago. And the schools that I went to very much look like the schools that we see on TV with the track around the school, uh-huh. the football fields, sure. the baseball fields, very much an all-American blue ribbon uh, education experience up until then. When I went into Philadelphia public schools and uh, God bless the, the kids and, and parents and teachers who are working so hard, uh, to improve things there, um, it was a bit of a shock. I had never seen a school where in the hallway uh, people would be using a bullhorn to get kids back in the classroom. I can imagine um, that was quite a shock. Yeah, it was. So, um, and being being an immigrant to this country, thinking that you know education is the pathway to the American dream, I was so um, taken aback by what I saw. Um, in those schools. 
and it never, never left me. And, and my dad has always taught me that it's always easier to sit on the sidelines and criticize things. It's much harder to, uh, that Roosevelt quote, you know, be in the arena and do something about it. So I said, law school's not going anywhere. I can always go to law school. Um, I have a background in English. Let me get my teaching cert at Temple University. And instead of complaining about schools and the state of schools in Philadelphia, I want to do something about it. So that's how I found my way into Philadelphia public schools. Uh, I fell in love with it, uh, probably because it was the hardest thing that I could ever imagine doing, um, yeah. trying to manage the complexity of the classroom, trying to build relationship with kids. And at the time, uh, at the same time, trying to make learning relevant for them, not just for me, uh, the, just the, just the sheer difficulty of it. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I like hard things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I like, I like intentional struggle or something. Right. I don't know. Right. Um, and I fell in love with it. I'm, I never looked back. I never used that LSAT uh, score. score yeah. um, and for 10 years, I dedicated myself to becoming a better teacher in service of my students and the families who entrusted me with their with their best, the best thing they ever created. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting when people find themselves in teaching situations or life situations that they don't expect that kind of, you know, um, can cause them to, to step back the way that, that walking into those school hallways did. I, it seems like you have two choices. You either become disillusioned or you become driven. Um, and, you know, it's really clear that, that um, you became driven um, to, you know, to just see, uh, to really see kids. Um, and I, and I see that in so much of your work that, that you are so dedicated to making sure kids and their families have been seen. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that means to you or, um, how you have made sure to live that? Cause that can get really hard. Sure. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give anyone an, an impression who isn't familiar with my struggle to be a better teacher than the, than the day, uh, than the day before to have this idea that like, I just, you know, cracked my knuckles, went into the classroom and it was easy. It's not easy for anyone. It never is. No work worth doing is, and certainly not teaching, um, so I think for at first in my early years, it was just to feel in control, to feel uh, safe, right. <laughs> to help my students feel safe. That alone was um, an accomplishment. And I think over time in my own journey, which, you know, quite transparently, I, I sort of track and thrive. Uh that wasn't enough. Just right. having a, a an orderly classroom was no longer enough. And then I looked for particular ways. Um, and and again, all of this, I, I again, I didn't figure this out by myself. I think for me, joining organizations like mm -hmm. uh, National Writing Project, meeting mentors like you, actually, Sarah, um, asking people who are much better at teaching than me about how they made their classrooms 
uh, a safe and engaging and student-powered learning environments has helped me to start thinking about, you know, what might uh, writing look like in a high school English classroom if it had a real audience? What might uh, reading look like if there was a balance between canon and contemporary young adult uh, titles that my kids were already bringing to the classroom? What room is there for my students to sometimes just what feels like are we wasting time or talk about uh, violence in Philadelphia or my last two years uh, at science leadership when every other day somebody was being gunned down uh, 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 by violence due to to you know police or otherwise in in our country. So I think. For me, that was an evolution. At first, I was just scared. I didn't want to have my classroom on fire. Sure. sure. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to uh, just, quote unquote, have, have things under control. And then once I started figuring out that there were 33 of them and one of me, and the best way to do this work is with them, not to my students, um, I learned that asking what they're interested in, um, connecting their inquiries, their interest, and um, their ideas to the quote-unquote standards and skills I wanted them to have by the end of a unit or by the end of the lesson was a much more powerful way of doing this. Um, and I think, to me, um, for, for me, it starts with something as simple as getting my students' name right. I always used to say on the first day that, you know, no, 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 I, I do care about getting, uh, having been named someone, you know, as Minu all my life and having to correct every other person every other day on how they pronounce my name. I've, I personally lived this uh, experience. And I always told my kids it's the first gift that your parents ever gave you, and I want to honor that. Oh, and so I think in, in little and small ways, knowingly and unknowingly, I try to let my students know that they mattered, right. uh, their ideas mattered, and more importantly, we were going to do some hard work and thinking right. together, uh, but it was going to be, uh, the important part was the together part. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I love the phrase you use when you said student powered, which is a little bit different than student empowered. Um, yeah. And, and I, I love that because I think it speaks to the engine of community um, that you are constantly driving, um, whether that's in your classroom or what you do on, you know, social media or the work that you're doing now. Um, and I think uh, that it would be really helpful for people to hear a little bit about um, the work that you've done on social media, especially Twitter, and um, how, um, how you started this presence that has built this incredible community. Yeah, again, uh, I think, uh, you know, that Steve Jobs quote that when you look back, you can start to connect the dots, but you can't really connect the dots when you're living the dots. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, I think looking back now, there's this like really, uh, you know, nice, you know, 
uh, hopeful story of a young teacher not just surviving but thriving in a in 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 a school um, and in a place like Philadelphia. But I think it was much more uh, messier than that, and I, I want uh, our listeners to know that that it will sure. feel messy, and it won't always feel like uh, this coherent um, construct or narrative. Um, I think for me, uh, I started using Twitter because, frankly, I was lonely. Um, I described described, uh, the experience of first couple of years of teaching as, uh, uh, you know, being able to go through the entire school day without having talked to another adult and then wandering into um, another teacher's room uh, around four o'clock because I was too tired to drive home and it probably wouldn't have been uh, safe for me to drive home. Yeah. And and then just wanting to talk to another adult and trying to process what had just happened that day and not really necessarily finding that that uh, space for vulnerability, honesty, and processing. And come on, you know, like those those people had kids. They were trying to get home to soccer games and ballet lessons and sure. and making dinner. Um, so for me, uh, Twitter was the place I turned to because I'm I'm a tech nerd and nerd of all all types, <laughs> and I, I I like to try things and adopt things early. And I turned to Twitter to find people like you, actually, Sarah. I don't know if you remember, but when I started EngChat, yeah. this Twitter community for English teachers, I was looking particularly for for people like you. And Jim Burke, who was, I think, the first host of uh-huh. InChat. And I was just trying to learn from who I thought were these illuminaries in my profession um, and trying to basically just have a conversation with them. And that's what InChat became. It became this conversation amongst English teachers um, who wanted to do that very same thing, reduce isolation, find community, talk about what was working and what was not working in their classrooms, and just geek out about how much we love teaching our students. Um, Again, purely selfish, purely not thinking that others would see a need for this as well, and creating it because I saw a need for it, and frankly, I could have used the help at that time yeah. and and still still turn to that community. Well, and I think that that's exactly what makes it so magical, honestly, um, because um, whether I've followed it or participated in it, um, it's very clear that this is a this is a space for genuine conversation. And it is it is not a space um, of experts, honestly. Um, yeah. It is a space for people who are all interested in thinking as beginners. Um, And how can we constantly and continually learn from each other? Um, You mentioned the word thrive earlier. And of course, that's the the title of the book that you have written, um, which uh, has so many wonderful moments in it. Um, And actually, there's a a sentence from very early on that um, I, I oftentimes hang on to. And I just wanted to read it here. Um, This is actually just from the introduction, but you write, slowly I discovered my own power to find meaning, solve complex problems, and make meaningful connections that inspire me to this very day. This slow evolution as an empowered teacher happened because of a very few specific experiences, and then you go on to talk about those. But 
what really resonates for me in that language is something different in terms of how we talk about empowered teachers. Um, you remind us that it is slow. You remind us that it takes patience. It's almost as though you have to earn empowerment. It's not really something that can be given to you. Um, and, and I think throughout this book and, and, and so much of the work that you do, you open that space um, in really meaningful ways. I think, I think that, that um, even that word powered versus empowered is interesting, right? In, yeah. in some ways, I think by writing uh, Thrive for myself, um, and what others have said about is this like uh, unnecessary need in us uh, to uh, unnecessary need for permission to show up as we are, oh, um, mm -hmm. to share vulnerability, sure. to share our meandering paths to mm -hmm. becoming whoever we we hope to be as teachers. And and I think that's another thing. One of the things that I've tried to show by showcasing so many different profiles of teachers I admire and thrive, you know, I'm really trying to make a case that there are many ways to be a powered and an empowered teacher. Um, and there is no one, one way of doing that. But I think um, maybe this, this is too philosophical or, or uh, poetic, but it, you know, it's, it's the process, you know, it's the Roque's idea of questions being more important than answers. Right. Um, you know, it's that Zora Neale Hurston quote, you know, some years uh, are, are full of questions and some years give answers. answers. Yes, I know uh, it, this quote. I have it in my desk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I have certainly uh, felt that in, in, at certain points in my life. And I think um, what I, you know, if I could give any single single advice to a new or newish teacher, and, and I, again, I don't even think I have any ground to give anyone advice, but I think it, it would have helped me to know that the struggle is okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's okay to struggle. The work uh, that we ask ourselves and we ask teachers to do uh, especially in the current atmosphere of, you know, uh, public public education in America is a particularly difficult time, um, and we should honor that struggle and the difficulty of tasks before us. But again, to not go at it alone, uh, because there we have mentors, we have experts, we have others who may have solved the same problem that we're trying to solve and it's by joining others in a conversation um, that we might discover uh, new things about our own practice. I don't think that's too poetic. I think it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> which I think, uh, you know, kind of leads me right into a question that you're, you're already kind of answering here, but what advice would you give to your first year teacher self? You know, given the arc that you've had, um, what else would you say to yourself now? You know, I think I think the one thing that I wish I had done differently is I would have trusted my students more and would have intentionally fought against the need for quote unquote control in my right. classroom. Um, you know, when we 
when we ask, uh, you know, when we when we expect more from our students in terms of behavior, quality of work, uh, being a better community member, contributing to the wellness of the entire classroom, not just their own agenda. I think for the most part, they show up and they show up in bigger and better ways than we expect. It took me longer to learn than learn that than I wish I had. And I, I think the first few years of my teaching life would have been a whole lot easier if I had just uh, done small and, and intentional things to create that kind of uh, beloved community that, that I often love and think uh, back to my, my classroom days about. Um, but in where some ways, you know, in some ways, you can't, you can't get there before you get there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, and I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, I can think back to all, I have all these snapshots of, of days and, and years or semesters where I, I, I'm right there with you. And then I think, I don't know if I could have gotten there any sooner, though. Yeah. And I, and I think it is uh, with, you know, I think it's even a, a language acquisition thing, you know, uh, when we, when we're really teaching students biology, we're not just teaching them biology, we're teaching them a, a language of biology. There's so many new terms and ways to think about it. Yes. And I think our, our teaching selves are the same way. We're not only learning the complexity of teaching, but we're learning a whole new language about teaching and, and learning. And I think that takes time, just yeah. like any uh, learning a new language takes time. Um, I think that takes time, so t time, time as well. Absolutely. So one of the things that I love to do um, whenever I get to do interviews is to end with a few um, kind of quick lightning round questions. Are you up for that? Sure. Okay. So these are five questions. Yeah. No. And so just very, very brief, you know, one word to uh, short phrase responses and just kind of the, the first things that come to mind. All right. Sure thing. All right. Number one, um, what book are you reading right now? Uh, better, faster, smarter, or I think it's called smarter, faster, better. Those it's three actually... words in some order. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it's a business book, but I think it has some uh, application for, for teaching, and that's why I'm reading it. Fabulous. All right. Um, what does it feel like to walk into a classroom? Mm. Uh, it feels like home. What's the first name of a memorable student? Um, Alicia. And what did she teach you? Patience. <laughs> what does it mean to be a teacher? Uh, I think it, it means to uh, lead and learn all at the same time um, and manage the thinking and doing and acting of potentially 33 incredibly smart people all at the same time. It's like being a conductor, oh, I love uh, that. a marathon runner, 
You need to be in shape for it. <laughs> Anything that takes endurance, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a long game. It is. It is. And and as it should be, right? Because I think that as we grow and change, you know, the text of our teaching lives changes too. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I know that our listeners, regardless of where they are at in their teaching journey, uh, have so much to gain from your wisdom. And thank all of you for tuning in. I hope that you have heard some of your very best teaching selves in this conversation today and can remember that the work you're doing, it's the very best kind. This is Sarah Brown Wesling for Teaching Channel. You can stay in touch with me via Twitter or through my webpage at sarahbrownwesling.com.